Hey, let's thank him again. <clears throat> Take your Bibles with me. Go ahead over to uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Uh, we're going to end up in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we'll get those in front of you here as well, but Luke uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. I got asked a question this week, and you know, my, my job is to not lie, so that's important, right? You understand that. And so I was asked um, very specifically if I enjoyed ruining all of your Christmas traditions last week. And I said, indeed, I did. And today it's going to be even better because the extra Grinch is coming. Um, you don't believe me. Here, I'll start with a freebie. How's that? Christmas songs, a lot of them, pretty jacked up. Like, particularly, all I want for Christmas is you. Psh, come on. How about a little more serious? Away in a manger. Beautiful song, lovely lullaby. But there's this one verse in it that says this. The cattle are lowing. You know what lowing is, right? Moo, right? Okay, so you go. You're welcome. The cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. How many of you have had children and would say that your infant, if a farm animal stood in front of it and went, moo, how many of your infants would be like, I'm cool with that? Yeah, no. No, they would not. In fact, they might freak out. Some of your infants freak out when I come anywhere near them, and I'm not even mooing. So <laughs> the reality is, in that, and it's, it's a small thing, but it's kind of an important thing, actually, um, because what we need to understand is that baby Jesus was exactly that. Baby Jesus. He was a real baby. A baby who does all the things that real babies do. Because he came to be one of us. How does that affect us here at Christmas? Well, as we enter the Christmas season, our, our focus has been that he didn't, he didn't come exceptionally. He came into everyday life. Because, because honestly, it's hard for us to identify with with an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, infinite, eternal God. It's hard for us to, to relate to that invisible God, but through the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of God becoming a man, we can relate to Jesus because he's actually walked in our shoes. Because God, because God became flesh, I have a Savior that understands my frailties, who understands that I can be lonely that I can be sad, that I, that I, that I can be in pain or, or be living with extreme frustration. And all of that is because he came. And, and the point last week, and I'll put this up here again in front of you, the message of the nativity is that Jesus humbled himself and came into everyday humanity, just, just everyday common humanity. But to taking it a next step, and I'll put the main point of the morning in front of you again, for the fear that I may forget to hit it again. <laughs> it's this, the message of the nativity is that Jesus humbled himself and came into everyday humanity in order to reach everyday humanity. It's the whole point of his coming. It's the whole purpose of him being here is to reach those of us who are separated from God because of our sin. So Luke chapter two, we're gonna go ahead and start reading here in, in verse eight. 
Um, if, you, if you need to use the QR code, I'm going to get that up here for you real quick. There we go. And you can scan that, and it'll bring you right to Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 8, kind of walk through very familiar stories. We're going to start with the story of the shepherds, because everybody knows about the shepherds. And some of you are like, what is he going to do to the shepherds? Just don't worry, it'll be okay. You'll be fine. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says this, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. So in the same region, we're talking about the region of Bethlehem, Bethlehem being, you know, six or so miles from Jerusalem. Many people thought that the shepherds would be watching over the sheep that would be provided to the temple in Jerusalem as, as their sales stock. What I mean by that is some people would come to the temple and they wouldn't have their own lamb to bring to the offering. And so, so then they would go and they would purchase a lamb that was provided by the temple and they would bring that lamb for one of their offerings in the temple. And that's, if you fast forward, what you see Jesus dealing with when he shows up at the temple and flipping tables is some of them were, were, were doing some um, unfair business practices. Now, in this, this region were these shepherds. Now, now being a shepherd was really hard work, but living as a shepherd was probably harder. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. So, so being a shepherd meant that you are working in this, this dust bowl uh, these, these fields that were dirty, the, and the wind would whip up the dust and, and, and the smell of working with the wild, not the wild animals, but your, your flock of sheep. So, and, and here's, and, and, and I gotta deal with this because I deal with this every time I have an opportunity to do this. They're working with sheep. Sheep are incredibly cute, right? They are the dumbest animals ever. So, so this, is, this is a really valuable lesson for, for our young women to learn, particularly our single women. Just because you're cute doesn't mean you're smart. Run away from him. Okay? If one of you learns that today, then we have accomplished something significant. So anyway, uh, the shepherds are, are hands-on working with these sheep. That means they're dealing with any wound that the sheep may have, that they're binding up the wounds, that they're dealing with any sickness that the sheep may have. They're dealing with the filth that comes with Sheep. They're, they're dealing with newborn sheep, which means they're working and helping in the birthing process of these, these baby, baby lambs. Now, that brings a whole nother level of consideration. When you uh, take part in delivering a lamb, now, now you've been covered in the blood of an animal, and now, according to the Old Testament law, you are unclean, which means you can't go to worship for another seven days. And so, so the shepherds were regularly missing out on opportunities to attend the temple. They, they, they may not have been outcasts, but they weren't welcomed as part of the community. They don't attend worship. They stay out in the fields all hours of the night. I mean, there's, there's documentations from the, the Mishnah, which is the writing of the time, uh, explaining the oral law of, of Israel, that said that shepherds were despised in every day. That in general, they were considered second class and untrustworthy. People would actually refuse to buy anything a shepherd was selling. The reason was they just assumed that whatever the shepherd possessed had been stolen. So if they purchased anything from a shepherd, they were actually buying stolen goods. So they would refuse to purchase anything um, from the shepherds. You could probably learn a lesson about Facebook Marketplace on that, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm improving over first service. First service, by this point, I already lost everybody with a, with a horrible joke that I thought would be funny. It was not. Anyway. Growth, baby. So, so the writings of the time in the Mishnah uh, would say that the, the, the shepherds were incompetent. And this is amazing. I mean, can you imagine actually putting pen to paper and writing this down? If you ever find a shepherd who has fallen into a pit, you do not need to feel obligated to rescue him. That's what the community thought about shepherds. 
Shepherds were so untrustworthy, they weren't allowed to publicly testify or bear witness in any type of legal situation, any type of court case. And here these shepherds are watching their flocks by night. Night is that time where you needed to be on high alert to protect the sheep from wild animals, protect your sheep from other shepherds even, because they were untrustworthy. Shepherds used to steal sheep from another flock and just conveniently add it to their own flock. And not only did you have to protect them from other animals and protect them from other shepherds, you actually had to protect the sheep from themselves. Um, Again, not the brightest animals in God's created kingdom. But imagine for a minute being a shepherd in the middle of the night, your senses on high alert, you're listening for anything that would sound like one of your sheep was in danger. Whether it be an animal coming in, a shepherd coming in, a sheep in distress, whatever it might be, but you, you are paying attention. Every snap of a twig, every, every strange rustle of the leaves, and, and you're, you're on it. You're on it. And in the middle of that moment, verse 9, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let me start with this. The glory of the Lord. We're not exactly sure what that looked like, right? But, but when you read the Psalms, you find a psalmist that says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so here's this psalmist looking at these heavenly bodies that are millions upon millions of miles away, and he is saying, man, those things are a picture, an image of the glory of God. The sun, which is uh, 91 million miles from us, this huge ball of fire in the sky demonstrates and displays for us the glory of God in that God spoke and that thing popped up. That, that, that thing that Jesus, that, that Jesus himself spoke and created, that if we stare at just for a second too long, we go blind. And now that full glory, that, that full display of brilliance and brightness and power, suddenly the shepherds are surrounded by that. And there's an angel. And I'm not talking about those dopey little chubby dudes in diapers with fuzzy wings. Angels are terrifying. Angels are the soldiers of God. How do you know they're terrifying? Because every time an angel shows up in Scripture, people fall on their faces in fear. And the same thing happened here with the shepherds. I mean, think about it. To get a glimpse of the glory of God, whatever that is, being surrounded, right, by the glory of God, and then standing before an angel of God, a soldier of God, the, 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 the understanding that you would bring to that moment, you would just be like, well, okay, I get it. I'm dead now. But he wasn't. They weren't. The shepherds weren't. Verse 10, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Easy to say. <laughs> but look, I proclaim to you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Hear hear this angel saying, here's the message. I have a message of huge joy for all people, and I'm giving it to you, shepherds. Even though nobody else trusts you, even though in their minds you're an outsider, a second-class citizen, maybe in your own mind, even if you feel all alone, even if you feel like you've been forgotten, and maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel like nobody else is in the room. You feel like nobody hears you. You feel like you've been pushed to the outside. I proclaim to you Good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Shepherds, 
God is telling you in the middle of your shift work, that Messiah we've been waiting for, he is here. The next word in verse 13 has always made me laugh a little bit. You've got this momentous moment. You've got the glory of God shining around the shepherds. You've got this angel of God standing before them saying, don't be terrified. I got good news for you. And verse 13 starts like this. And suddenly, like there needs to be a suddenly. There's been a few suddenlies already, right? And suddenly, oh, there was with the, well, this multitude of the heavenly host with that angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven on peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This, this heavenly host, I mean, if you think one of God's angelic soldiers is terrifying, you bring a whole army of those things, your blood turns, just, just runs cold. And he says, I, I proclaim to you a peace. Really fascinating in this time that everybody knew that the Roman Empire had been so far advanced and worked so hard at technology and, and domination that it would bring into the empire this thing that we refer to in history as the Pax, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the angel here says, I know you're enjoying the peace of Rome, but let me tell you something. I got something far better for you. I've got the peace that will be for all people and you get to announce it. You, you lowly shepherds, he came for you. Verse 16, they hurried off. They found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen, all the things they had heard which were just as they had been told. This, this is the moment. This is something that everybody has been waiting for for hundreds upon hundreds of years. A group that wasn't allowed to testify to anything is the first to testify to the birth of their Savior. They, 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 they get to see that he has come and he didn't just come to show up. He came for them, even them. Because Jesus humbled himself and came into everyday humanity in order to reach everyday humanity. Now, just a, a real, I'm gonna read the next couple of verses just for a transition. Um, it's gonna lead to something else, but that's okay. But just a real quick, get, get a kind of sense of timeline here a little bit. Verse 21 of chapter two. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. When the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and, and, and so on and, and so on. And so, so I know there's some of you sitting here like, he just said the word circumcision. My mom is here. Frank, knock it off. It's okay. I, I was going to skip this. In fact, it's not even in my notes anymore, which is probably a sign I should skip it. Um, but I did it first service, so I got to share it with you too. I got completely geeked out this week on those two verses. Completely geeked out. And you're like... Can we read that again? Would you geek out over? Yes. Circumcision. And you're like, oh no. He's had too much coffee for sure. Now, now let me, let me explain something to you first. It talks about the days of purification. 40 days after the baby is born, 
Mom and, and dad uh, go through a season of purification. After 40 days, they then go to the temple and they need to bring an offering. That offering is a lamb and a bird. And, and if they're poor, then they bring two birds. Okay? Um, those days of purification are marked with, according to the Old Testament law found in Leviticus, telling the moms, hey, hey, just rest. And dads, keep your hands off the moms. Isn't that interesting? That was 4,000 years before Jesus was born. 6,000 years before today. And a baby is born today. And one of the departing instructions that's left for mom and dad is, take six weeks and just relax. You know how long six weeks is? 42 days. 6,000 years ago, God's like, I know how this works. But wait, that's really cool. This is the weirdest sentence I've ever said preaching. The circumcision thing is way cooler. So, so get this. Baby is born. Baby is born. You cut the umbilical cord, which, by the way, I did not know was not an option. Or did I just have a mean guy when we gave birth? Well, we gave birth. That's going to get me emails. I did nothing. Nothing at all, except for clip the umbilical cord and almost pass out from that. So I just want to be clear. I'm taking no credit. Um, <laughs> but as soon as baby is, is being clipped from the umbilical cord, right, that baby immediately has 100% of the enzymes, chemicals, hormones that it needs for coagulation because it's, it's actually sharing blood with mom. And, and so when that baby is, is clipped from the umbilical cord, 100% of the level of this, this other enzyme called prothrombin, Prothrombin is 100% of the average. It's exactly where it should be for that baby. That's day one. But as the days move on, day one, day two, day three, and day four, that level slowly drops. Because babies' internals are still getting used to having to function on their own, and so the liver's got to be able to produce prothrombin, but it takes a little while to get that thing kick-started, and so at day four, it's at the lowest average that it will be for the baby's entire life. But then day five comes, and that liver starts going, and the prothrombin levels begin to elevate, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But eight, hang tight, nine. On day nine, baby's prothrombin levels are exactly 100% of where they should be. But it says circumcise them on the eighth day. Yeah, because for some reason, and doctors are completely baffled by this, on day eight, the percentage of prothrombin in that little person is 110%. It's the highest level it will ever be its entire life. Almost like God said, guys, I created this. I know when you should do this. That's our God. So like I said, I geeked out a little bit. has nothing to do with Christmas. But I figured it was better doing that today than Christmas Eve. So. <laughs> but here you go. You're 40 days in. 40 days of purification. They show up at the temple. And, and Joseph and Mary, and we're going to talk about this more on December 31st. Okay, because this is kind of part one. We're going to go to part two. Joseph and Mary show up at the temple, and they're poor. And so they can't give the lamb and the bird. They've got to give two birds. Why do they give two birds? Why don't they have the money to? Well, guess who's not here yet? There's, there's three dudes missing from your nativity here in the story. The wise men haven't shown up yet. 
Some people say they don't show up for another year, maybe two. I know it's, at, well, I know. I'm confident that it's after the 40th day. Why would you say that? Because after the wise men show up and say, here's our gifts, here's a big bucket of gold, pretty sure Mary and Joseph could have afforded the lamb. But on day 40, they couldn't. Speaking of the wise men, let's go to Matthew 2 to fly through the end of this message. Matthew chapter 2. Hmm. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. So here are these magi. The actual word in Greek is magi. As it is translated, it means great and powerful ones. The reason it came to be known as wise men is because these were people in their culture who, who, who had an unusual capacity for understanding. They were, what they were studying was astrology. They were studying the, the, the stars, the bodies of stars that are in the universe. And they were taking that knowledge, combining it with secular and religious aspects of knowledge and wisdom in their culture, and sprinkling a little bit of magic on top just to make it super awkward and talk about in church on Christmas they, they, were, they were advanced pagans in their culture. They were people of influence and power and wealth. Where did they come from? They came from the east. We don't know exactly where in the east. It's a pretty general term, but they came from the east. That leads me to one of my favorite Christmas songs that's a little bit inaccurate, <laughs> but I have a solution for you, so I'll help you out. Okay. The first Noel, love that song. Love that song. But the verse that says, they... Now, it says they looked, but that's not the way you sing it. You're supposed to sing it, they looked. They looked up and saw a star shining in the east. You know, far. Uh, no! No, the star was in the west. The star was in the east, and they followed it east. They went the wrong way. They're lost. So if you sing that incredible song, and you get to that verse, they look it up and saw a star shining in the east, you have a couple options. One, you can say, they look it up and saw a star shining in the east. I mean, a lot of you sing songs like that already, so it's okay. <laughs> or better, you could do this. They look it up and saw a star shining in the west just to see what people do. Um, just to fix it. Now, there's a chorus to another great Christmas song that actually gets it right. You know, if it, westward leading, still proceeding, following yonder star. They nailed it, right? Westward leading, still proceeding, following yonder star. Problem with that song, of course, is that it's completely jacked up because that's we three kings. And as we just talked about, it ain't kings. These are magi. And on top of that, we don't even know if there was three of them. We know there were three gifts, but there could have been hundreds of kings. There could have been four kings. Oh, sorry, not kings. There could have been hundreds of magi. There could have been four magi, and one of them was like, oh, forgot my gift. I mean, I don't know. It's one of those, right? We're not exactly sure. But here we have this group of, of very wise men with religious and, 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 and political influence who have an understanding somehow of the teachings of the Messiah, and they were students of the stars, and when they saw it, they're like, we gotta go. We, we gotta go. This is the one that is born king of the Jews. Well, where do you go to find the one who is born king of the Jews? Jerusalem, of course. That's the, the capital of Israel. So verse 3, 
When King Herod heard about these wise men, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. I do not have time to get into this. We will talk much more about this on December 31st when we talk about Herod and his dealings with the children in Bethlehem, which was incredibly brutal and cruel. But when they hear that, that, that Herod, when we hear that Herod was deeply disturbed, that's not unusual. Herod was such an insecure ruler, he had to try to make sure that he maintained control over everything that was happening around him in his kingdom. So there was no chance that he could lose control or power. So he even put to death his favorite wife and, and his sons. And so, so all of Jerusalem hears these wise men of influence and power and wealth have come into their city and they're asking about the one who has been born king of the Jews and Herod is disturbed and Jerusalem's like, we are too because we have no idea what he's going to do because when Herod's not happy, ain't nobody happy. So what does Herod do? Look at verse four. He assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So, so here, get this. Herod pulls together the chief priests and the scribes, those people who should understand the intricacies of theology and worship, those who should understand the intricacies of the Old Testament law, and they're asked a question that they shouldn't just know the answer to. They're asked a question that they should themselves be enthusiastically investigating. Somebody said, the Messiah has been born. We have been waiting for hundreds of years. Let's go find out. And yet there they are, and they haven't even flinched. So then Herod secretly summons the wise men, verse 7. And he asked them the exact time the star appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, about six miles from Jerusalem. And he said to them, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Nothing that Herod says here is sincere. It is all about a jealous king trying to protect his position. So verse nine, interestingly though, Herod gives them the right answer. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. There it was, now the star shows up. Now the star shows up. Now remember, this is, this is 40 days of purification. It's after that, and the star shows up. So bad news, your nativity shouldn't have a star. Sorry, love you. So, so, but what you can do, if you want to be historically accurate, you want to be historically accurate, somewhere around February 3rd, you can put the star on your mantle, because that's when it showed up. All right? Now... Now, it showed up on February 3rd if Jesus was really born on December 25th, and I love you too much to touch that one this morning, so we're going to keep on rolling. All right, all right. But they see the star, and they're rejoicing with a great deal of big rejoicing, it says. And then verse 11, entering the house, hmm, they see the child with Mary, his mother. They fall to their knees, and they worship him. And they open their treasures, and they present him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, you know what the wise men knew? When you're in the presence of a king, you bow. You know what the wise men knew? When you're in the presence of royalty, you give him whatever you can possibly give him as a thanks. Is, is there some significance to the gifts? It's possible. I, I, again, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time today because we can't be definitive about it. Um, but, but, but gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold, gold, gold could be symbolic of royalty. Jesus is king. Frankincense is, 
is, is probably symbolic of Old Testament worship. It's mentioned more than 100 times in the Old Testament as, as something that is used to worship God. So it could be talking about worshiping this little baby as God, not just king, but God. And then myrrh, myrrh is what you would anoint people with, a perfume, or perhaps anointing for burial. Many believe that myrrh was the main spice being used when Jesus was laid in the tomb. What we do know is this. Those are gifts of extravagance because they were wealthy people. (laughs) See, these incredibly wealthy and influential people knew that this baby came not just to show up, but he came to bring salvation to all kinds of people, to everyday humanity. This baby came for those who were looked down upon, like the shepherds. He came for those who were of influence and power, like the wise men. He came for those who were ostracized because of their health, like the leper. He came to those who were brokenhearted, like those parents who lost children. He came to those who were sick. He came to those who were caught and accused of sin, like the woman who was taken in adultery. He came for those who thought they were spiritual, like the Pharisee. He, he came for those who knew they were not, like the man who said, woe is me. He came for the blind, the deaf, the mute, those who couldn't walk. He came for children. He came for parents, young, old, male, female. He came for those who already know they need a Savior, and he came for those who have yet to hear. He came for the people of the Rohingya nation. He came for the people of the PNG tribes. He came for tax collectors, and he came for sinners. That's why Christmas brings us such joy. He came for us. He came for you. He's offering you a gift. Have you accepted it? Hey, as the choir comes, I'm going to ask that you just bow your head and close your eyes very quickly. I don't want to draw this out, but I, I know there's people sitting here and like, man, I have made a complete mess of my life. And if these people knew the truth about me, then, then they would know uh, you wouldn't even want me here. Um, the reality is Jesus knows. And not only does he want you, he came and died for you. That the beauty of the story of the nativity isn't just that there's a manger. The beauty of the story of the nativity is that the manger leads to a cross. And so this morning, if you're sitting here and you've not accepted that gift that God has extended to you through his son, Jesus Christ, then I just want to explain to you how to do it. It's so simple. There's, there's no contract to be signed. There's no paperwork to do. There's no sacrifice to be made. It, it simply is confessing with your mouth what your life proves to be true every day. It's, it's, it's asking God to save you. It's praying a prayer like this. God, I'm a sinner, and Jesus Christ, your son, came to live for me, die for me, and rise again for me. So I, I know it's in Jesus and in Jesus alone that I have any hope, so I am choosing to put my confidence in what he did for me on that cross and what he did for me at that empty tomb so that I can have peace with you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. And if you're here this morning and you have not trusted Christ, that's all it is. It's just saying yes. Yes, you're a sinner, and yes, Jesus is a great big Savior. So would you consider that this morning? If you do know Christ, then my goodness, think about the joy that is yours because he came to rescue you. (laughs) Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it's in Christ we have hope. I ask, Lord, that in these moments as we close, that we'd be reminded of that hope and that it would be precious and dear and near to us. 
Uh, may we may we fully embrace the joy that is ours because Jesus came for everyday humanity. For me. It's in his matchless name I pray. Amen.